Amy Lynn. I'm Ellen. We're the psychos. Hmm. <sighs> I can't wait for this one. I did so, I did so <laughs> much research. And it's all hilarious. And my notes are messy. Nuts. Nuts. So, if you haven't gathered, there seems to be a theme hmm. of, like, the really batshit stories are the one I, ones I tell. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we did I'm the cannibals. historical. Yeah. You're very bad shit. Yeah. We did the cannibals. That was bad shit. We did the pedophile aliens. That was bad shit. I'm not saying it's aliens. No. But it's a pedophile. Yes. <laughs> that's exactly right. I was like, wait, no, she's saying that wrong. No. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a pedophile, but it's aliens. <laughs> that guy would say that. <laughs> Absolutely would. Okay. So, today... Cool. <laughs> <laughs> So, again, we've recorded one episode prior to this, and we're a little bit... Was it in the bag when you've had some drinks? This is the bag. Cat bag. I drink vodka and water. I think that's why she feels shittier, and I never do. Yeah. I recently read that uh, reading reading shitty wine gives you yeast infections. Excuse me? I recently read... And then I said reading, and I just stuck with the joke. But I recently read that drinking too much shitty wine, like cheap-ass wine, gives you yeast infections. It changes the Time pH out. of your vagine. Time out. What yeah. is the price point? I think, literally, somebody tweeted, so I must have had a yeast infection between the ages of 19 and 27. And I'm like, 38? Go on. Yeah, like just your whole life. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I don't I know what it feels know. like to not have what a yeast What is cheap infection? wine? I'm pretty sure, like, I've, I've been wanting to tell you you're pretty yeasty. <laughs> I'm rising to the top. That bread. That bread. I'm fully leaven. <laughs> no. Mazel tov, everyone. Let's talk about Michael Haley. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> Let me open up my nerves. Okay, so we're talking about... Michael Alec, you may have seen this movie, or probably not. It's called Party Monster. There's also a book by the same name. Interestingly, so there's a, on Amazon Prime, there's a documentary called Glory Days, and it talks about the crime and, like, post-prison for him. Do they do reenactments in that one, or that's no. just... But there is Party Monster, the shockumentary, oh. and it's not available anywhere. Hmm. It's not on... Amazon Prime, even when you go and it's like, how do you want to, like, to buy it? And it's like a VHS and it's just Party Monster with Macaulay Culkin and Seth Green, who I think does a fucking wonderful, Do you wonderful think it's job. like a voiceover then? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's a bonus? No, it's VHS. like the documentary based on the book that James St. James wrote. And then the movie came out. And for some reason, the actual factual documentary mm. is not available. Weird. I know. I'm upset about it. Because I thought it was there. I wonder if it was a legal thing. Who knows? So the reason we are talking about this is it is timely as Michael Alec has recently passed away, which we will get into. Hmm. So picture it. What's the opposite of R.I.P.? Sicily, 1885. No, picture it. New York City. Late, mid to late 80s. <laughs> so we're talking about New York City. We're talking about... Mm, just, like, the whole of the 80s and then, like, into the 90s. Yeah, it was fairly crime-riddled. It wasn't, like... Yeah, New York City touristy. was dirty as fuck. It was lawless. It was scary. 
drugs rampant. Times Square was not a place you went there to take pictures. Like, it was full of, like, prostitutes and crazy, crazy shit. It was also, however, a place where you would go if you were in the outskirts of society. So yes. if you were gay, if you were into drag, if, you know what I mean? Like, somewhere where you found safety, I think. Yes. Like, that is what brings us to New York City, as a matter of fact. Thank you for that, Lena. That is what brings us. So also, just as a throwback, mm-hmm. around this time... Circa. Truman Capote was part of the club scene. My God. Hello, Fresco! Exactly. It was before he went to Kansas, I imagine. No, yeah. After no, after. Happened. Absolutely. So he's just... So he's pretty popular at that time. Um. Okay. So the main character in this scenario is Michael Al... I've heard Alec. I've heard Aleg. I'm going to call him whatever I want to call Have him. you heard how he pronounces it? I think it's I Alec. I don't know that I've ever... Yeah, I thought so too, but I'd never heard him pronounce it to my memory, but... We're going to go with Alec. So he's from South Bend, Indiana. He ended up leaving post high school because he was gay and he was being bullied. Indiana, you said? Yeah, South Bend. The tiniest of the tiny towns. Is pretty much forbatim what they said on this documentary. So he goes to New York City and he gets a scholarship to go to Fordham University. Good for him. Yes. He's described as well-behaved, nicely dressed, preppy, sweet little kid. Who's watching him? Or he's just on his own? No, he's gone. Wow, he, He's just by himself. Him. That's amazing. So he ends up getting in, he's in school, but he ends up getting a job at a nightclub called Danceteria. And it's owned, forgive me, I don't have his last name, but his, his name is Rudolph. And my favorite... I feel like when that's your first name, you don't really need You don't. You're just fucking Rudolph. He's German. Hmm. I thought he was a reindeer. No, his nose is not red. Maybe when he's had a few. Well, props. So my favorite in this whole thing is Rudolph is talking about Michael and he's like, yeah, you know, I just met him and he was, well, in a German accent. Let me try. I just met them and he... That's not German. (laughs) It's never German. I just met him, and he was like a twinky little twit. <laughs> and that's what I put in my nuts. No. Yeah, so Rudolph called him a twinky. German man. Absolutely. A twinky little twit, which is my favorite thing. And she'll be the title of this episode, if I may. Uh-huh. So he's a twinky little twit. I would say. Um, so he has, he ends up making friends with this guy, Stephen Lewis. Ends up being his best friend. The only reason I mention him is because he has a lot to say in the documentary um, Glory Days, which is like Mm -hmm. the crime, but then post. It's also this big commentary on like New York City as a whole. They talk about how uh, Mayor Giuliani, you know, wants to clean drugs and he... And isn't that just wild? I would say that he did an incredible job for New York City. Until he lost his whole life. And did a horrible job for the world. Yes. Okay. I did really like him at Me one too. point. I oh want him god. to be president at one point. I was Absolutely. like, that's not a bad idea. It was Oof. a bad idea. My god, you got, really got to analyze those candidates. I really do. So, Stephen Lewis, I don't know if I have it written. Let me just scroll real quick. So, sorry, he meets Ellie. Ellie leaves South Bend, evidently goes to college. Like, he somehow goes there gets briefly. into college. Yes. He's and there, gets this job busing. At Danceteria. Okay. Where all this crazy shit is happening. And then he's like, maybe college isn't for me. Yes. And then he gets in the club scene. Okay. So he's chilling with this guy. So Stephen Lewis, the only reason I bring him up is because, like I said, he's in the documentary and he says, and it could be the way they edited it. Edited it. Edited it. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
But so the person in question that is murdered goes by Angel. Someone got murdered. Yes. Surprise. <laughs> surprise. We're back on kill, murder. Kill surprise. <laughs> we had a break with little Albert, but we back. Um, so Angel, this guy, Stephen Lewis, is like, I didn't like Angel. I didn't care for him. And if I had a list of people that deserve to die, he would be at the top of it. What do you think gets somebody on that list? I don't know. Because then later, they show him and he's like, but I didn't think he deserved to die. <laughs> and I'm just like, sir. Careful what you wish for, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I just don't care for him. He's very, like, self-important. He's like me and Michael with my... Hmm. What our skills and his whatever the fuck we just did like get a grip. What would put somebody on your list of people who needed to die? Like you'd have to be a risk to like ten or more to the lives of ten or more other humans. I think for me for you to be on my list of people who have to die. Well, it depends. Are we talking metaphorically die or legit die? No, legit die. Like oh, right. Yeah, I, I don't know. It would take a lot, I feel. Yeah. Hmm. Like, I just don't know me and get the fuck away from me. I don't yeah, care if no, you're alive exactly. or dead, you know? Yeah, I couldn't care less about your life, but the point where I'm like, oh, not only do I care, but yes, you deserve to die. But just, God, it takes so much it's energy. It's a lot. Ugh. Okay, so Exhausting. obviously Stephen Lewis had a problem with Angel. But then maybe also didn't. He had a problem, but not that much of a yeah, problem. Yeah, not with a literal problem, you. but like metaphorically. Yeah, he deserved to die, but he didn't deserve to, to die. die. Yeah. yeah. With the italics. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Whatever. Fuck that guy. <laughs> so. Thanks for bringing him up. Because <laughs> he just made me so angry the whole yeah, no, thing. Yeah, I hear you. Like, I was just very off-put by him. Everybody else can talk all their <laughs> I bullshit. I bet sure he had, like, 34 seconds of screen time. You're like, no, he's on this it guy. constantly. <laughs> and he just has so much to say, and then he's talking about... Oh, Michael Alec, he was writing me when he was in prison and I, we went and saw him and then now he's, and which he did have some commentary about how when Michael Alec comes out, they're like filming it and Mm -hmm. James, James St. James is there who was played by Seth Green in the movie. And he's like, well, James didn't visit him in prison at all. We visited him. We drove. Who cares? Exactly. I don't care. You want a cookie? Well, I didn't care about that in the Truman Capote. But that's because that was... Who, You're who, writing a book about But James St. James was writing a book about him. Well, he wrote a book about And the he crime. lived it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in 1985, uh, Michael... God, it was so long ago. And yeah. I picture Michael Allen but when it he wasn't. died was like 40. He was in his 50s. I just feel like he was so young. I mean, 50s is still young. And, like, the, the real shit doesn't happen until the 90s. But That's true. But we're building a mystery here. But he's Sarah at least McLaughlin. 18 because no, he's no. gone to college. No, well, yeah. So at least 18, yeah. but not legal. Got it. Um, so in 1985, he go-go dances <laughs> at a competition where in, – in the club that he worked. And I don't know if you – Michael Musto is on a lot of – when it would be like VH1 or whatever, do you like remember the 90s? And mm. he, he was a reporter for the Village Voice, but oh, then okay. like also went out clubbing and did all things. So he was one of the judges. And Michael Alec offered Michael Musto sex. He was gay before this? Or he was just like, I need to win this? No, he was gay. Mm. Oh, um, that's why he got kicked out. Sorry, Doug. No, he didn't get kicked out. He mm. just left on his own because the, the town was not well. Had he come out to his parents? I don't know much about his father, but I do know about his mother, and we will get there. Okay. Um, so he offered Michael Musto sex, and he was so bad 
that even the offer of sex was not going to get him a win. Like, he was just awful at dancing and anything. Go go dancing, I feel like, too, does not offer much in the way of nuance. Bitch, I would kill at go go dancing. If you can't go go dance, then you can't dance straight up. That's what I mean. Like, it doesn't. There's not much to embellish. You know what I mean? It just is what it is, and that's the end of it. Like, flamenco is the same. Like, just, it is what it is, and embellish. Like, what are you supposed to do? Uh, I think there's shades of gray. Hmm. Shades of go. Go on. So, during this time, Andy Warhol is a big deal. Yeah, he is. He's, like, out, he's out at the clubs. He's doing the things. He made, which I'll never understand. I'm real sorry. Campbell's Campbell soup. soup. Mm-hmm. I don't, what? Really? Like, I just, I'm not an art person, but I'm definitely not that kind of art person. Mm. You painted a Campbell soup can. Did he also do the dots, that yeah. style of painting? Yeah, I think that is interesting. Yeah. But, like, what? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These people, I, I just have to imagine the people that loved him were, like, drug-addled. And then they Bitch, just... Liza goddamn Minnelli? It, like, <laughs> yeah. I can't. Where's my club? Okay. I can't. So, Andy Warhol's a big deal. He's at this club. He, he went to the clubs. Mm-hmm. All over the place. He was oh, yeah. just part of the scene. And, basically, he... Dies? Nah, I want to see 1985, 1986. We have to do an episode on him with that Marcello. He dies of like a mistake made during a gallbladder surgery. And they said that he had been shot at some point. Mm -hmm. And so he had a fear of hospitals and would avoid them. And then the one time he goes in for gallbladder surgery, he dies. Yeah, it's wild. So it was, everybody was devastated. It was just like the whole heart of the scene was gone. And Michael Alec was like, well, I'm going to... There's an opening. Absolutely. Not going to miss my shot. That shit's called blood in the goddamn water. So he's ready to go. So he basically developed a crew of people that would like follow him around. Like people were like, they were like little ducklings. They would just follow him everywhere. And he would, his group of people, they would dress up. And they knew him before. Or it's like, now there's an opening. We need a leader. Well, they had met in the scene. I see. Okay. They would dress up like outlandish. They'd be like, oh, here's a dirty diaper on the ground. I'm putting it on my head. Like, well, not dirty diaper, but like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to that extent. It was just garbage. It was just random. It was very economically priced. They would just make <laughs> shit up. They would look ridiculous and they would go places. And it was like Michael's job to make sure that his group of people all got into the club that he was trying to go to. Hmm. And someone comments... I didn't write down who, but in the documentary, someone comments that, like, you would think to, like, lead people, you would think you'd be slick and, like, smooth. And they said he's nothing like that. Like, when you talk to him, you just think, what a weird guy. <laughs> okay. But they there is... I hope that's the impression I leave with people. What a weird person. <laughs> yeah. What a bizarre human. <laughs> I mean, that's where I'm at with you. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> so, he... There is discussion however that he is charismatic in some way he's obviously Mm. getting people somehow yeah but just not the and he's going to like all different clubs he's not just like hey i work here let me sneak you in the back okay and like it's not even sneaking in the back like he made them so popular that he went in and so they they have tiers which is crazy they have tiers a b c and d so a people were the people that got to go in right away like you don't have to wait in line you don't have to pay you just go in you probably don't pay to drink you just are there to so be us. there. Absolutely. <laughs> and then there's B that like these people were 
adding something to the party, but they're not as popular. They probably either paid to get in or they paid for their drinks. They would have to wait in line, but they were probably pushed through faster than others. Mm. There was the C line. that These people probably were waiting in line the whole night. They would have lines out there, even if the clubs were empty to like just develop a demand. Mm -hmm. And those were like the normals. That often so didn't like get actually in, us. <laughs> basically. And then there was the D's, and I can't, they said D for something. Deny or something. Like, they just weren't let in the club. They just weren't allowed. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Michael was breeding A-tier people. Oh, no. Why does it always lock me out? Oh, God. The answer is piece of penis. <laughs> so. Oh, God. I can't. I can't. <laughs> so. At this point, too, like, clubs are getting, like, bigger and cooler. Like, it, it used to cost, like... Stop it. <laughs> oh, oh, God! <laughs> Which I never said. Also. Oh. <laughs> I like you're probably like, oh, my God. We're like, oh, oh God! God. <laughs> I can't wait for you to try to find it in the episode. Oh, God! <laughs> Bitch, now they locked me out again. Oh, it didn't. Okay. Creepies of penis. Go on. Nope, it's no. <laughs> so, tell me you're drunk. It's so funny. <laughs> Can't get it out of my head. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> so, uh-huh. <sighs> the clubs are like a bigger deal now. They have like. It's costing, like, millions of dollars to open a club, whereas before it was, like, 150 grand. We're in, like, the early 90s? Mm, Late 80s. Okay. Mid to late 80s. And they're, like, there's different rooms, and they're designed by different designers, and there's chandeliers, and there's a room that's, like, well, that was aggressive. What? That vibe Apology. (laughs) Um, So there's, like, this room plays... This probably is not the right music, but, like, this room plays rap, and this room plays techno. Can I tell you a very bizarre but related story? Sure. Amanda and I had gone to Ireland for one singular second because one of our sorority sisters was doing, like, an internship or whatever that study abroad program is. So we went there. We thought it would be a good idea to go for three days. Meanwhile, half the time is fucking traveling. Yeah, what the fuck? So stupid. We went for, like, Memorial Day. I mean, it was fine. Now I've been there. It's good. It's green. Like, a sheep. You know, what else? Yeah, yeah. But there was a club called The Living Room, and it was very much that. It was three floors, and each floor was a different type of music. Meanwhile, all of the music is behind United... It's English music, but it's like US minus 10 years. So Mm -hmm. we get in the first floor, and it's like, oh my god, Dirty Dancing is the best music ever. Sure fucking is. And we're like, yeah, this is cool. So we go to the top one and it's like, come on, Eileen. I'm like, where the fuck am I? Like, what is this? This is 2005. Mm -hmm. Like, where's Fergie? What is this? Yeah, no. They way behind. But it sounds very much like that setup. Like, everything. And there's like a whole theme and it's like a whole experience. I mean, it sounds cool. Yeah, absolutely. The club kid movement, which is what Michael and his I mean, that makes sense. You're A-list club kids. Um, it starts at the end of the 80s and goes into the 90s at the time when people were saying there was like a death of downtown with the absence of Andy Warhol. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, which blows my mind, 
and will never not blow my mind is he was, he was underage and he was getting other underage kids to fill up a club. Mm-hmm. They were not paying to drink. They were not paying to get in. And that was like the cool thing. Your club was cool if you had underage kids there and they never once got in trouble. No cops came in and was checking IDs or anything. Do you remember when we were younger, you could get into a club, like on Chippewa, you could get into a club at 18, but you couldn't drink. So you had this big old X on your hand all crazy, but you could like dance. they gave them drink tickets. That's crazy. Yes. So originally, this makes me embarrassed and I'm glad it didn't stick. Their, (laughs) Their name, they were called the Fun Touchables. Oh no. Thank you. Um, oh, but no. then good old Rudolph, the Twinkie Little Twit, mm-hmm. uh, he was not the Twinkie Little Twit. He, the gen- Twinkie Twit generator. Yes. He called them those club kids in like his German, like just, oh, those club kids. And das Club kids. Exactly. Is that okay? Das Boot. <laughs> the club kids. Mm, it's the club kids and they're really cool. You want them in your club? <laughs> I love German accents. We're so good at them. <laughs> I'm like clogs and there's like a one of those weird giant pinwheels. We make Germany less scary because with the we don't Leg do and that. Yeah, we don't day. do that. Leg and moving. That's cool, kids. Nine. <laughs> Sit. Come to my club. Way more approachable. Absolutely. So Rudolph called them those club kids and it stuck. Mm-hmm. So now in terms of Michael, this is just a list of different adjectives and phrases people have Mm. used to describe him. Okay. The most narcissistic person I have ever met, explosion of creativity, obnoxious, visual, energetic, infantile, sloppy, and worldly amount of charisma. Uniqueness? Nerve and talent. Speaking of, RuPaul. Hey, girl. You out here. You're in this. RuPaul was a club kid. (laughs) That's good because she does frequently have a challenge, a club kid challenge. And it really took me a minute before I understood what that meant. Yeah. Because I I don't think that the outfits for the club kid week are ever impressive. No. Because they're weird as shit. But it's like the... But it makes sense. The The aesthetic is. Yeah. Okay. So when Michael... Goes to New York City, and for a while while he's there, he didn't drink and he did not take drugs. And he was staunchly Had he against before? it. No, never. So he gets to New York City, and he is against drugs. If he caught someone using drugs, he would grab the drugs, he'd flush them down the toilet. He was anti-drug. Um, Someone referred to him as squeaky clean and irritating. Squeaky, squeaky clean and I want to kill you. Yes. And what he would do is when they would go into clubs... He would pretend to be drunk or high. Like, he would pretend to fall over like he's had too much to drink. But he hated drugs and he did not do them. Hmm. He drank, though? Or no? No. Nothing. Did not drink. Did not. Nothing. Okay. So, as the club scene's going on, the rave scene starts to kind of combine with the nightlife. That makes sense for the early to mid-90s. So, and like... I, again, I've never done drugs, so I don't fucking know. But, like, the the rave drug was, like, ecstasy. It was Mm -hmm. the thing. So it sort of starts making its way in. And at this point, Michael is employed by this particular club called the Limelight. 
Peter Gation. Yeah, that's super runs popular. It. Yeah, it was like a church. There's mm-hmm. like an altar in it and everything, which I imagine probably it's makes gone. for a really cool, she gone. like really cool club. Yeah. He had an eye patch. He was <laughs> mysterious. Gation. Yeah, Peter Gation. Um, so at the limelight, however, there was just, there was just open drug use. Like nobody was hiding it. They, was that unusual for the clubs? It sounds like that was pretty it was, common-ish. So in the seventies, it was a thing. And then there was like a pause where drug use wasn't a function of the nightlife. Ah. And then now it's like being reintegrated back into it. Hmm. Limelight is where Michael's working. He's throwing parties. He has like, I think it was a Wednesday night. He would do Disco 2000. And a Wednesday night during the week was the busiest night of the week, including the weekends for the Limelight. So he is like party promoting. He's bringing people in and he's killing it. How many of they them were aware are- that he was going to be there? Like, do you think that these people like sought him out and were like, listen, I have this club. I really want to promote it. I need your help. Can you get the word he out? He was marketing himself to himself to clubs. Got it. Okay. Eventually, Michael, um, I guess, lessens his severe stance on drugs and he starts having, um, starts doing ecstasy. That's what he starts with. That's a that's a powerful start to yeah. a drug career. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, Are and we sure he wasn't doing anything? Like, do you think that aside from what he wants you to think about him? No, these were other people. Other saying people are saying, okay, yeah. Okay. So he started with ecstasy, and then at the club he would start throwing like ecstasy parties. Which it turns out, as I was trying to type this, I didn't know how to spell ecstasy for would a you, while. It was took, it ex? It was a whole thing. I don't know what it looked like. E x t a s e e. No, not s e. I think I think I first typed it e x t a c y. I would like to give a good shout out to the X T C wine that is part of the Western New York wine trail. Somewhere. Won't give you a yeast infection. No, won't give you a yeast infection. Very expensive pomegranate flavored wine. So goddamn good. Well, we need some. I'll bring some next episode. Boom. Next episode. So, so. Yes, bitch. I love when you're the scoop. Okay. <laughs> so, starts with ecstasy, starts throwing ecstasy parties. He then begins spiking punches with acid at his parties. Did something give him this idea? Like, where did that? That's because, wild. Well, because rave culture's coming uh, okay. in. So, now so, they're in the club. And maybe he's feeling pushed there. out. Okay, okay. I'm with you. And he just, Michael shows, like, this need to be accepted and loved, and he wants everybody to like him. So it's not surprising that if everyone else around him is doing drugs, that he mm-hmm. was like, well, sure. Because yeah, or if that's cool. like the cultural shift yeah. is like suddenly, okay. So, to be the most outrageous, you have to be doing this. Um, so DJ Kiyoki, who was Michael's boyfriend for a while, said that there was this batch of drugs, and it was called Zek. Drug batch. Yes. And it was Xanax, ecstasy, crystal meth, and ketamine. Mm. Special K. And they would do that all at the same time. Like Jesus they would just, H. Christ. It was like, pretend you're in a mental institution, they give you a cup with pills and you do mm-hmm. it all in one. That's what they were doing. How did you not die? What does it say again? Xanax, ecstasy, crystal meth, and ketamine. So Xanax, a downer. Yes. Ecstasy, an upper. Yes. What was the second one? The third one? Crystal meth. Crystal meth, an upper. And ketamine, a downer. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sure it just balances out. Sure. 50 mm-hmm. 50, whatever. Ketamine is horse tranquilizer. Yes, by the, the way. And they just mixed a lot of drugs. So this is including Special K, which is ketamine, crystal meth, acid, rohypnol, coke, heroin. 
So just to throw that out there, now we have these wackos, and I'm going to use Florida as an example because it's the only place that criminal records are public, so it makes it seem like they're insane. They are but, insane. well, people down there are doing bath salts, mm-hmm. eating faces off. Like, this seems to me the type of yeah. mixture that might make yeah. you want to eat someone's face. Yeah. Okay. I mean, just so long as we're on the same what page. It is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now this, I'll never get past. His mother, Elkie. Elkie. Oof. God, can we get a normal set? Where's like Mary and Bob? Well, I think she's German. She's German. She's some shit. She's <sighs> Austrian. I don't fucking know. She Elke still has like a, a hint of an accent. Mm-hmm. She partied with him. Mm-hmm. She was in the clubs with him. And he gave her ecstasy. Oh, no. And this is where I'm going to go on Without an aside. her knowledge? So, no. This is what... This is how it goes. So... In researching this episode, I went into the rabbit hole of Geraldo episodes. And the Geraldo? Geraldo. Geraldo. I've been practicing. Yeah, you're <laughs> you're failing. Geraldo. So there's three separate times that the club kids are on Geraldo. Michael Alec is on all of them. Hmm. On the one in What is his premise? Is it the same, these three episodes? Geraldo's name. They're talking about just the club. Just like, hey, this is weird. Let's talk about it. Yes. Okay. So on the second one, which I think was in 1992, Michael's mother is there. Mm. And he was like, am I right to say, like, you turned your mom on to ecstasy? He's like, well, she had a headache. And she knew it was ecstasy. A multitude of ways to handle that, madam. She knew it was ecstasy, but he was like, here, this is a headache pill. So now on Geraldo, she's like, well, he gave me a headache pill. And he was like, well, what happened? She's like, well, my headache went away. Oh, my God. And And I'm sure the crowd was like, "Ah!" Well, half of the crowd. The other (laughs) half was old biddies. (laughs) Like, bitch. But so I applaud her in that she speaks a lot about, like, you need to accept your children and you should love them. But there was... Well, also, if my child is gay, like, for days, let's talk about your gayness. I will march in every parade. I will wave your flag outside my house. It doesn't make me gay. Mm-hmm. I don't... You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't... To engage in the same lifestyle yeah. as your child, I don't know. And, like, the, the age difference and, like, that he wanted... And the parties that they had were insane. Like, sometimes there was just sex everywhere. Mm-hmm. But, like, let me talk about Geraldo for a second because I cannot... So now I know I I know that this is the nineties. So I, Geraldo right now is doing like Fox News reporting. Yeah, yeah. he's on like okay. he's legit. Sorry, it was in your microphone for a second. So at this point, he's just like a talk show, and like they'd be like, "Oh, like a Stanley Jesse Raphael." Yes, like a Donahue. Mm-hmm. Like we're not talking about who's the father. We're not Maury Povich,ing but we're it's just like this is an we interesting. We haven't gone full Povich. We have not. <laughs> But it's it's just like, oh, let's talk about oh, like he did an episode of like women in gangs and stuff. So okay. like so like an interesting outskirt of society, let's shed some light. Not necessarily always outskirts, but yes. Okay. So the club kids come on and now so now just be advised. You have men dressed in drag, you have transsexuals, you have gay men, mm-hmm. like you just have the gambit. And the the way he spoke to them, and again, I know this is the 90s, and it was not, no one was going to be like politically correct with him and be like, that's inappropriate. But just like normal ass respect, he like, he was just so rude. 
Hmm. Like someone was talking, he's like, oh, I don't care anymore. This is the second time he's had them on the show? This is all three times. He was just dismissive and a dick. By the third time, he was a little bit, a hint more respectful. And then you could tell they had like, I don't know if they were plants, but they had these two suited gentlemen at one point. And he goes (laughs) around and he takes comments or questions and the one guy's like i think this is an abomination and i wouldn't do this and they're embarrassing and the other guy's like oh the circus has come to town and then they, he has like literally like seven on the hand, though they are wearing to your own admission like dirty diapers on their head yeah you know what i mean like but they like, are a circus kind of yes but like in like at this point if that was a talk show you would never allow someone to talk oh, to disparage people your guest yes exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah. and he would disparage people like he was like oh are you actually a man? Hmm. And like, oh, like awful. And there was some weird shit. Like there was a 15 year old transsexual who had impregnated. So she was a male, wants to be female. She intended on having gender reassignment surgery. Okay. She impregnated a 19 year old lesbian. No oh God. So now to me, 15 and 19 is the issue. I don't care if you're a dude. I, I don't know. care. I don't care. But it also seems like a very complicated exploration of their sexualities. Yes. Like, what is going on with me? Let me figure it out. Like, he's, like, the lesbian saw her as a girl, and then she's going to get rid of the parts eventually, and she was like, but if I have the parts, I might as well use them. Mm-hmm. And then this, this African-American woman asked a question, and it just got so aggressive. She was like, are you going to raise your child in this kind of environment? And they're like, well, the environment is what, it's what you make it. It's like, we create it. We're not, this is where we can truly be ourselves. She's like, I'm asking if you're going to raise your child in this environment. And yes, this is how I live. Like, what are you? Like, what environment? Do you mean surrounded by other people of fluid sexuality? Probably. Do you mean like literally in a club on ecstasy? No. She meant that this woman, that there's a lesbian and there's a... Transsexual. So, like, yes, of course. That is who we are as people, and we will both be involved in the child's life. Absolutely. Oh, okay. There was this one girl who, like, I'm sorry, she I thought she looked hideous, but she, like, had, her name was Princess Botanical. Princess Botanical. And she, it looked like she took, like, tissue paper and put it around her face and made it look, she was supposed to be, like, a carnation Mm. or something. And they show a picture of what she actually looks like, and she, they're, like, you're very pretty. Like, why do you do this to yourself? She's like, well, I, I think this is pretty. Mm-hmm. And they kept like, Geraldo kept hammering. Like, what drugs do you do? What drugs do you do? And nobody wants to answer that question. One, because also like, it's illegal. Yeah. Exactly. All your, you're on national television. Uh-huh. You're like, ah, special case. What illegal things shit. have you done? Yeah. And then they're the, what the fuck? But also she, she was like, drugs don't, don't make the scene. Like RuPaul doesn't fucking do any drugs. Mm-hmm. There's a, misunderstanding or understanding or misunderstood or something you got this she she's never does drugs and she's very popular and so just because some people do drugs it doesn't make the culture and you could just tell that there was a a plan that Mm -hmm. he was this is what we want to talk about but also we want to make you look stupid and ridiculous well it also puts up a bad front of like if you are gay it's likely prompted by drugs Mm -hmm. like it's not a natural or if you're gay, you're 100% going to do drugs. Yeah, exactly. It puts it into a weird light of like... I mean, listen, these these people were into something that's outrageous, which is separate from the fact that they're homosexual, which is separate from the fact that they do drugs. It's all... 
these three like outrageous things together in Michael Alec at yes. least that sort of came together and not one has to do with the other I don't yeah. think then they had in the last so the last one was done in 1994 and they had two people one was like a model Karen Karen Rachel Rachel Frisk I think All right. and then there was another Rachel and the Frisk was she was like a model and she wanted to talk about like her concerns and then the other person was like this is why this is awesome and i it was weird because i could see both points so the one kind of against the lifestyle was because a lot of these people they would go to the clubs and they would dress outlandishly because they would get in the new york post they would get press makes sense and then you know, start a clothing company or be a model or be an actress. Like that was almost sure. And I'm probably sure close to Andy Warhol. Well, like back in the day, yeah. you know what I mean? So it probably felt like. And you're meeting people. Like yeah. the one, the other Rachel, she was like, I met Arnold Schwarzenegger in a club. Like uh-huh. where else would I do that? You right. Know? Absolutely. So there was, I'm going to say probably 75% of club kids were doing it for some legitimate reason. Mm-hmm. Like not just to have a good time. And the Frisk woman who was against it, she was like, you can't live this lifestyle and be a model. And what she was saying, which is valid, no legitimate modeling agency is going to hire you if they know that you go out at midnight and you're up till 5 a.m. Yeah, every morning. absolutely. But they were hearing it as, oh, because I do drugs. Oh, because I do this. And so there was a lot of back and forth. Anybody and- who watches Top Model knows that the amount of go-sees that you can make it to in a four-hour period is critical. Yes. So if you're You've got to be awake. You, yeah. yeah got to be just, fucking awake. You got to be handling Jesus it. Jesus Christ. And then there was like other people that they were like, I'm a zookeeper and I work eight to five and then I take a nap for a little bit and then I go out. Not every day, but I go out mm-hmm. and then I get up and I just do it. Like and they were trying really- to portray these people as like, derelicts yes or like living on their parents they had like this other guy who was his son was also named michael something but he 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 was called a backer so he's a parent who knows that this is what his kid does and he supports it and gives them money to live and whatever and then there was other people who were saying that like their parents found out about them because they saw them in the post and they didn't know and either they're supportive or they're not in some regard if i were going to go out now at this point in my career to a club that had any amount of notoriety i might want to disguise my identity do you know what i mean like just to sort of like break yourself away from who you are in your nine to five and be like something different yeah so i can see the allure for somebody who's just working regular life and then is like you know i'd like to have some fun once in a while but the takeaway from this aside is literally i can't get also with garbage i can't get over how he spoke to people like i just can't at what point did he say, so amy lynn texted me the other day and she goes all it is is quotations you people what point did he say that? he said it people in the audience they're like so what time so do you people work or like Mm. What what kind of drugs do you people do? Or what time, what's, what's a typical day look like for you people? 
And like it could just mean club kids, and they're uh-huh. not all gay. Some of them are normal, but, but they're also not all the same. You people imply that you. like anyone who has the singular characteristic that you do is the same as everyone else. Thank you. And therefore, can speak there was for them. one woman on this? Mm. Not even a woman. She was eighteen, and she was like, "There, because there is, there were like sex clubs that had been a thing like in the seventies, and now they're kind yeah, of back." Sure. But also, like, can we for one second, the fucking 50s, they had key parties in the 50s, they had Tupperware parties that included weed. Like, let's not pretend that, like, parents in the 50s were, like, squeaky-ass June Cleaver bullshit. Yes. Not the case. Um, but so they're talking about, like, all of these sex parties, and this girl was, she's 18, and she's like, I'm a virgin, and I've never done a drug, and I've never had anything to drink, I just go to have fun. Yeah. And, like, get seen. Mm-hmm. And then... Fast forward however many minutes, Geraldo goes back to her and he's like, so something about like sex parties or something. She's like, you're asking the wrong person. I'm a virgin. Again, I just told you that. Back, I... So I don't know if he was trying to catch her in mm-hmm. some line. I don't know what the fuck. But then like these two guys, they were, they had blue hair, kind of like a, like a Dutch boyish sort of cut, like chin length yeah. And they had all silver outfits on and they called themselves the twins and like just when he's questioning them he's like are you guys actually related and they're like yeah and he's like like what do you think this is what is this doing for you and the guy's like well i have my degree in fashion Mm -hmm. and art and we're just art and we think people can be more and whenever they tried to like explain the deeper rationale he just cut them right off yeah that's a shame i don't get it like it's not my type of art but i appreciate that some people get it yeah so and i mean this scene would get crazy they would have what they called outlaw parties which so like michael alec would print it was michael alec's brainchild was the outlaw parties tangoing and he would like print like xerox this is before cell phones this is before I'm email saying, we're not like tweeting. The amount to get some notes so out. he knew uh-huh so he would I was going to say narrate. He would Xerox flyers and then go around and be like, at 11 p.m., come to this Burger King. 700 people would show up to a (laughs) Burger King. employees. Having a party. Like, they show, I think, it's in the movie, which is interesting because in the movie, and I know there's, like, dramatic license or whatever, but they had James St. James at Geraldo. John Stamos played Geraldo, which I think is, like, a good pick. (laughs) But James St. James was not at any of the Geraldos that I watched. He was mm. not present. So that was just like a little Maybe added. he felt like, <laughs> you know. Or they were just the trying book, to like expose, also, like they yeah. needed to explain some shit because he was talking about how Michael stole his ideas and whatever. I don't give a shit. Exactly. Um, but so they show like Michael going into a Burger King and ordering 300 cheeseburgers and 300 french fries, knowing that these people are coming, they just is passing them out. And they would stay, it would be like a half hour, then the cops would come and they would leave. My favorite story is when they have an outlaw party in the subway. And they were there for like 45 minutes by the time the cops come. And then all they did was they all got on the train and (laughs) ran away from the cops and none of the cops caught them. I mean, of course. Like, that's brilliant. So he's, Michael Alec's a big deal in this scene. And now he's into drugs, so he's just killing it. And the drugs make his personality more pronounced. More pronounced. Okay. Don't change it. Just bring more yeah. pronounced. Got it. And he he goes so far as, this is also where I got confused. So he starts to put drug dealers on 
the books at the club. So like mm. at, at Limelight, I was going to say Limewire. R.I.P. Oh, I know. So at Napster? Yeah. <laughs> but at Limelight, he would pay drug dealers to be there to give out drugs. Now, I thought what I was hearing was they were paying them, so they were just giving people drugs. Mm. But then in the documentary, people were like, well, they were selling drugs. So maybe it was a little bit of both. Maybe yeah. they were giving out a free hit and then like, come at me if you yeah, want Yeah, no, I'm sure. Like once you start to come down, you're like, mm, needs more of this. And yeah. it's like, well, you know, the first one was free. So, so he just starts overdoing it and he really was like desperate to do anything to get a reaction, which explains like his different outfits and like how far he would go. Like he didn't care what the reaction was. He just wanted one. Mm -hmm. And he was. It's a shame almost that there's no more Geraldos. Do you know what I mean? Like I'd like to see I know. Progression. <laughs> Additional Geraldos, please. I know. So this is just something important to note. He was always obsessed with death. Like obsessed with death, obsessed with gore. He loved to watch horror movies. And Even like... before he left his parents' house. Yes. Okay. That seems important to me because I feel like... How much of it is... Yeah, mm-hmm. and like who you are at your parents' house is one thing. But then like to feel that you have to leave the home where you're arguably the most secure and taken care of and you're just like... Well, I'm on my own now. You know what I mean? If that was before, I feel like that is a characteristic rather than just like a result. Yeah. So he actually threw a party. They called it Blood Feast. Jesus Christ. Where it featured dismembered body parts and like even the flyer, there was like a head cut off and there was legs strewn about. This is like one of those subway things? or it's just No, like this is a, like a party at, at a club. Lime. Okay. Limelight. Lime, limeware. <laughs> I am like Lime Night, Limelight, Limeware. <laughs> Can't. Lime night. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> We're having lime night at your house. <laughs> I don't like limes. Is that where we drink Sprite? Lime night. Um, okay, cool. I'm in. So he, Michael essentially ends up with like too much power, too much excess, well, yeah. too many drugs. Like he's just flying off the handle. And he's probably getting things for free if he's the promoter. Everybody's like, getting everything for free. Like they would come and they just give people we drugs. People they were buying them too, right? Well, but that was like the lower tier people. Ah, uh, so the us, the C and the D class. We're D, Trey. They're not letting us in. <laughs> I just like, I want to shake my ass to some, you know, exactly. London Bridge. Speaking of Fergie. London. So, um, people at this point start ODing because they're just doing too many drugs. So people are dying left and right. It's not uncommon. It's like, oh, so-and-so died. And it's just like normal ass. Hmm. Rudolph, who called him a twinkie little twit. Mm -hmm. And now in my head, I keep wanting to say twinkie little twat. Also good. (laughs) Um, is quoted as saying about Michael, he overdid it. And then, well, he got fucked. Hmm. Also, Rudolph was on Geraldo with them. Really? Because he was a club owner. I picture him as like an older, wizened, like not drug addled. No, he was, he's hilarious. Like you have to watch the document. He's so funny, the shit he says. But like he went on Geraldo because there was a point where I think Michael was more involved with him Hmm. before he went to Peter Gation. And then once he went to Peter Gation, it was like all Peter Gation all the time. Hmm. Michael, interestingly, went to rehab at least twice. After his first rehab on stint. His own? Well, the first time, I don't know. But he went to rehab and um, continued drugs as soon as he came out. And, 
like at this point we're talking heroin like he's injecting mm-hmm. now we're into the injectables um and then the second time peter gation told him he had to go to be able to like keep throwing parties and doing things and then afterwards michael claimed that when he left rehab to come back gation had fired him and he so he kept using drugs despite both rehab stints and at some point he is no longer allowed in any of the clubs like he's persona non grata so i mentioned him briefly but we're talking about angel um melendez he has a different first name i think it also starts with an a i don't remember i desperately want him to be related to the melendez brother menendez you know what i mean like i hear melendez i think menendez i'm like you guys are all related yeah he wasn't there to do the killing so he's what's called a peer queen. So he would hang out by the pier and he was like rough and like a street guy. And he wasn't like a twinky little twit. You know, oh, he was sure. like hard ass. He was not considered A-list at all, but he was allowed to be around because he was one of the drug dealers on the um, payroll. Okay. At one point, he lived with Michael Alleg. Michael Alec had, like, three drug dealers living with him, and Angel yeah, was one of them. Yeah, how did he get by? He was just living with whomever, and then it turned out Michael to happened to be these people. No, Michael was funded now. He was living oh, okay. in, like, some luxurious apartment in a hotel or some bullshit. Like, he was paid for. He was handled. He was living the life of luxury. Oh, sure. Kept man. Got Absolutely. It. Which is <laughs> the thing. They do say that a lot in Geraldo. They're like, how do you people survive and... They all allude to, like, well, there are people that just want to take care of you. Yeah. And Geraldo's, like, like a sugar daddy. Who cares? And yeah. they're, like, well, I wouldn't even say that. But, like, so Peter Gation saw what, you know, Michael was bringing to the table and getting his club filled. So I'll pay for you to live. I'll pay for all the shits. Well, I mean, that's fair. This is my note, which is hilarious. It says. You're a. My new. Nah, there it is. <laughs> it says, ask Michael for money. And he didn't have it. Then he did. So. <laughs> he did. You did. He gone. So now this is the story of that fateful day. Picture it. <laughs> New York City, March 17th, 1996. 10 a.m. In the early morning hours. That's the not early morning hours. I hate it. It's a Sunday morning, similar to the clutters. I mean, callback. Cat named Boobs. <laughs> so, allegedly, Alec Michael had been up since Thursday. Like, straight through, because just drug-addled. And Angel comes home, because he lives there, and demands to be paid for the drugs he gives out at the limelight. So, like, that's why I'm assuming he probably, like, gave out drugs at the limelight and was supposed to be reimbursed. Fair. He got angry, Angel got angry, and started to fight. This is one of the stories. So he started (laughs) to- This whole story is, like, 11,000 stories. So he started to fight with Michael, and then somehow started fighting with- Robert Riggs, we call Freeze, who also lived there. Um, what is his name? Robert Riggs. Riggs. Okay. But we're going to call him Freeze from here Freeze. on out. So then he got in a fight with Freeze about the fact that he was fighting with Michael. And then this is according to Michael Alec in his documentary where he's in prison recounting events. And then Michael says that Freeze said, that's why nobody likes you. If you weren't a drug pusher, you wouldn't have any friends. And then Angel said to Michael, are you going to let him talk to me like that? Or is that true? Something to that effect. And then according to Michael, he grabbed his neck 
and they went flying into the china cabinet that he had in his house. The glass broke, and some glass dislodged in Michael's back. Hmm. According to Michael, blood spurting all over the place. Spurting. We love that word. Splurting. So, Michael says that he tries to push Angel off. Angel is biting his hands and chest. Freeze comes in, sees what's going on, and he looks to grab anything to get Angel off of him. And he finds a hammer, and he hits Angel two or three times. I mean, I don't just have hammers lying about my home, but... Okay. Finds a hammer. (laughs) Finds a hammer. Hits Angel two or three times. Angel falls back. And then, according to Michael, they both smothered him with a pillow. But then, also... So while they were fighting and all this glass is being lodged in Michael's back, Freeze is just like, well, this is awkward. No, he's like, I gotta get him off. That's when he grabs... Because, whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, in some reports... It is said that they shot him up with Drano, that they took Drano and a syringe and injected him with Drano. A syringe? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like heroin. I had heard that Drano was... No, we'll get there. Okay. Um, so Alec claims that they didn't think he was dead and they thought he was just unconscious. So they tried to revive him in all the ways they could think of to revive him. And the last thing they thought of was to like put him underwater, like put him under cold water. He's going to wake up. Because he's just probably unconscious. And they put a, they get him in the bathtub. They put him under the water. and I mean, Jesus Christ. I'm, I know that these guys are, like, skinny. Like, 120 to 150, Angel must weigh. They uh, drag him. Just to drag an unconscious body of any weight. Well, they're also high as fuck. Do you think that makes you stronger? I, feel I think like they Angel don't realize. Makes you strong. PCP is going to make you stronger. Like, I just don't think they notice. They just are like, well, i got to put this body in them. Yeah. Okay. Urgently, would you assist me if I was murdering someone actively? Then I was like, we have to inject him with Drano and then put him in the bathtub. I don't know. Mm. I need more information. No, that's context. I need to know why it happened. Doesn't matter. We're all on drugs. I would never be on drugs. We're all drunk. Would never be drunk. I love the sound of your rocks. (laughs) (laughs) Also, don't ask me that. Because if ever anything ever should happen, this could be... Well, I wouldn't put him in the bathtub. That makes no sense. Girl. (laughs) Um, They put him under water, and he didn't even try to gasp for air. So that's kind of when Michael was like, well, fuck. He's not just unconscious. So according to Michael, they didn't call the cops, and they didn't call a lawyer because... All the drugs that Angel had on him when he went there. Like, I don't know drug talk, but he had, like, so many bags of this and two grams, whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he had mm-hmm. a lot of fucking drugs Dime bags, yeah. I think, is a thing people say. Yeah, but I don't know. Several shit. dime bags equaling yeah. a dollar bag. I don't know if that's right. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Where This is not our specialty. Um... So they didn't call anybody because they didn't want to get in trouble. And Michael said he didn't want... Anybody to know that he was a drug addict, which everybody knew. Thank you, exactly. But he was like, then he every- was being hired because of his like, not because of, yeah. but like, yeah, adjacent to. So he, but he didn't want anybody to know that he was a drug addict, and like he didn't want the like facade of club kids to like fall apart and be like they're all junkies. I feel like he just didn't want to get arrested Caught. for murder. Yeah. Okay, so uh-huh. because uh-huh. also at this point, let's just across the board. 
I'm going to get into it more. But across the board, Angel attacks Michael. And Freeze gets him off by hitting him with a hammer. At that point... Just wrapping him lightly about no, the skull? hits him. Okay. But at that point, that's self-defense. Yeah. And if they left it, it would be fine. But then... At the point of the hammer attack... He was not dead. But he was unconscious? Or he had stopped attacking? He fell back. Okay. We'll get to more detail in a second. Bitch, so many questions. I know. So they didn't call a lawyer or whatever. So they end up putting... They have Angel in the bathtub because they ran water over him. So they keep him there. According to Michael, they put ice on top of him. Why did this need to happen? What? They... Sorry, so they injected him with Drano so that he would die. Well, the inje- injection with Drano is... Well, so the Drano happens because they wanted him to die. I don't know. They get him to the bathtub for what? That's... Girl. <sighs> Just let it go. Okay. So... He's in the bathtub, they put ice over him, they pour baking soda on him, and they pour Drano over him to, like, mask the scent, is what I think. Now, any yeah. good crime reporter mm-hmm. knows lie. a black garbage bag and some lie does wonders. Yes. Okay. So, they huh. put him in the tub, and then they just promptly leave the apartment. Well, I would have. And they so. go to someone else's house, and... After that trauma, obviously, the ghost is lingering. Yeah. So they're there for like a week or some shit. I don't know. It gets shady. They didn't want to go back to the apartment. Freeze especially didn't want to go back. Would you? Um, no. But they... This is a a large apartment building where many other humans live. Yes. Does anyone smell this? I don't know. Ew. So, also important to know at this point, they're just high as fuck for this entire... These days. They're just nonstop high. I will say I can't blame them for that. Exactly. When they start talking about going to the apartment, Michael says, what? I like your watch face. Oh, thank you. Michael says that he was like, we have to go back there. Maybe he won't even be there. Like in his drug-addled mind, maybe that didn't really happen or maybe he wasn't really dead. We're going to get there. It was all make-believe. Not only is he there, he's also been arguably, Mm -hmm. yeah, and in the worst possible condition you can leave a dead body in the water. Mm -hmm. Like, Well, no, I don't think the bathtub was full. Like, okay. I think they ran water on him with the plug empty. Or oh, okay. open. Ugh. They end up going back there. Surprise, the body's still there. Surprise! They actually have people over while the, the body's in the bathtub. No one's and they were like, you anything. can't use this bathroom. And when people would comment on the smell, he said it was bad plumbing. And nobody asked any questions. But they're also doing drugs. That's mm-hmm. just all they do. So he ended up not being able... Also, if your home smells of sewage and you tell me I can't use a bathroom, I'm like, well, that tracks. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, okay. And they had another bathroom, so mm-hmm. who cares? Um, so they decide they have to do something with the body. They, they had found a big box, like, in the basement of the apartment building. They couldn't fit the body into the box because at that point, rigor mortis, and they couldn't bend mortis. it. Exactly. So, I'm sorry, like a box, like a cardboard one? Yes. Or like, okay. Um, so Freeze goes to wherever the fuck and buys large kitchen knives. Oh, God. Um, they did, according to Michael, they did a ton of heroin either to die because we just killed a man, we're dead, or so they could dismember his whole body. Heroin and upper. Yes. So gets you in the mood to chop a bot. Like they're just high so they they don't care. Well, I'm just thinking like if you were taking ketamine for example, your body would not function. Yeah, no. In it a way like that gives you them do the, job. the energy and also the I don't give a fuck. Uh-huh, like this uh-huh. is fake. Copy. So then he started telling people 
Well, so no. So then they cut them up. They take each leg, put it in like a plastic bag, put it in a duffel bag, and they throw it in the Hudson. Then they take the the rest of the body, the torso Uh and everything, and put it in this big box. They bring it downstairs. They have like a concierge bring it down. And they were like, Michael is like, I could smell it. Freeze could smell it. I have to imagine that this man could smell it. And then there happens to be a cab outside. They get in the cab. They put the box in the trunk of the cab. The cab driver helps them tie down mm. the trunk because it won't close. And then a, So he could see what was inside? No, the box is taped closed. Oh, I see. But it wouldn't, like, close close. Yeah, like, the trunk wouldn't yeah. close because oh, the, the box the was car. too big. Copy. Yeah, I had it as, like, a vaudevillian trunk in my no. mind. It's, no. Um, and then, according to Michael, they asked the cab driver to take the box out of the trunk for them and then also help them drop it into the river. When he, according to Michael, asked why, he said, these are just dirty dishes and stuff we don't use anymore. And the cab driver didn't ask any questions. And they just threw it over. Hmm. So. What happened to that guy, I would like to know. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So they ended up making a poor choice of many because they didn't poke holes into the box. So instead of sinking, it floated. Well. And... Unfortunately for them, there was a tropical storm going on. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So instead of the body floating out to sea like it would have, the storm it pushed it, back, it back and it came ashore on Staten Island. I'm picturing the kids that find the Jumanji box. Oh, God. <laughs> so there's rumors going around that... Angel was murdered and chopped up. So he's been missing now for like a week and a half. At least. And his friends, I know he was not well liked, but his friends are starting to notice. And his family. And he was a drug dealer, so his contacts presumably got it. The one guy was like, I started to feel like there was something wrong when I called Angel and Michael answered his phone. Why? I know you're high, but Jesus is a fuck Uh Christ. Okay. So Michael claimed, like Michael started telling people. And if you hear people tell it, he's, like, joking. They're like, oh, where's Angel? He's not been around. Oh, well, I, I killed him and I chopped him up and I threw him in the Hudson. <laughs> to be fair, if I said that to you, you'd be like, okay, bitch. Well, what exactly. What really happened to but, Darian? Shout out. No. Hey, girl! <laughs> I, I won't kill you. I won't kill you. I need you. But so, according to most people, he's saying it like a joke and nobody's believing him. And then... Mm-hmm. I lost my train of thought. You totally did. I saw you derail. You're like, yeah, I lost it. Um, so he's telling people he actually like takes, according to James St. James, he takes James St. James and gets him high and then tells him the whole thing. So at that time when they had that party where he was telling everyone that there was bad plumbing, is he telling people then? No, I don't. It's so. after. Okay. Well, but it's also like not in that context. Like they'll be out somewhere and he's like, ah, like just whatever. Ugh. Well, Michael claims that he started telling people because he couldn't, he felt so guilty. Oh, sure. Because he was lying to them. Like if they mentioned Angel and he was like, oh, I don't know where he is. Like, you know where he fucking is. I'm sorry. I don't believe you, sir. And then finally people really started to believe that maybe the rumors were true when Angel's family started putting up posters and was, like, asking where Angel was. That makes me a little sad. Yes. Because you know he probably wasn't, like, the star student of his family. You know what I mean? His family's like, oh, fuck, this guy got himself in some trouble. 
So while this is all going on, there were some plots, um, particularly Peter Gation was offering Alec money to leave the country. Hmm. Um, but Michael kind of <laughs> was like, I'm not going to get in trouble anyways. No body, no crime if they can't find the body. And well, exactly. Sorry, bro. <laughs> so then reverse back to Michael Musto, who he had go-go danced and tried uh-huh. to bribe. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He writes for the Village Voice, and he starts writing what is called a blind item, which I didn't know what that was. Mm-hmm. But a blind item is like I'm writing a story. I'm not using names. I'm not using anything. But I'm just like, this might have happened. Yeah. Okay. It's so interesting that you can do that. Yeah. It's kind of like a gossip column sort of thing, though. So he starts writing a blind item reporting on the rumors that he was hearing because people started to think that maybe it was real. The cops ended up reading it. They realized that this unidentified floater they had found was... Unidentified floater. Yeah. Was Angel, given that in the article, they're like, well, I chopped off his legs. So now you have a torso with no legs. Mm -hmm. There you go. Exactly. Um, so Michael Alec and was in New Jersey and he had intentions to go to Colorado. They knew, they found out he was in Jersey. They arrest him. He was super high. They put him in the back of the cop car on the drive back to New York city. He's getting sicker and sicker and sicker because he needs drugs and he's in withdrawal, whatever. Freeze was also arrested and immediately confessed. And this is what I was so excited about. For some reason, I thought it would be hard to find his confession. Twasn't. And I found it, and I'm going to read it to you. Every time you tell me a new bit of information, I have to be quite frank with you. I've been Googling, like, hold the fuck on. How does this relate to the information I have? It is bonkers. The story has been bonkers. I'm listening. So this is a confession, and call me crazy, and there's some cops that were in the documentary that also agree that they think that Freeze was perhaps a little bit more sober than Michael was. Okay. And I just stop with the chair. Um, I know you're trying to not chew uh-huh. and then the chair is squeaking. No, the chair is squeaking. So this is his confession. Verbatim. So on a Sunday in March of 1996, I was at home in my bedroom with a friend. In the other bedroom, Michael Alec and Angel Melendez were loudly arguing. I, at one point, heard a little crash like gra- like glass breaking. Then I, then I heard the argument progression and getting louder. I opened the door to the room and started towards the other bedroom. I don't know the layout of this apartment, but mm-hmm. it seems like he was in a bedroom. He opens the door to that room and I then proceeds the to the, in the next. movie yeah. and it doesn't match this yeah. and I'm having trouble. But Yeah, the movie has that whole thing where they're digging underneath yeah. the, the radiator. I don't mm-hmm. know, whatever. Um, <clears throat> so he opened, I opened the door to the room and started towards the other bedroom. I stopped just outside of the bedroom door, at which point Michael was yelling, help me, get him off me. Angel briefly turned to freeze. And said, stay out. Then he grabbed Michael either by the shoulder or around the neck and started shaking him violently and banging him against the wall. He was yelling, you better get my money or I'll break your neck or something to that effect. I remember Michael looking right at me with a sort of pleading look in his eyes. I grabbed the hammer, which was in the closet directly to my left. 
I stepped forward and hit Angel over the head, trying to get him off of Michael and maybe knock him unconscious. I was in a panic and very concerned at the level of anger Angel was displaying. After the first blow, he turned and grabbed for the hammer. He might have gotten his hands on it, I'm not sure, but I snatched it back and hit him in the head again. He started to go down, but was still pissed off, and he started going for Michael again. So I hit him a third time, and he went down. At this point, Michael got onto his chest and was strangling him with his hands. I yelled, what are you doing? Michael seemed to be very angry at this point and was cursing at Angel. He then took a pillow and put it over Angel's face. I made him stop by either telling him to to stop or pushing him off Angel. I then walked into the living room and possibly into the bedroom. When I returned, Michael was beside the body again. I noticed a broken syringe on the floor by the body and Michael was pouring something from the bathroom, some cleaner or chemical, into Angel's mouth. I again screamed, what are you doing? What is your problem? He's out. He then started wrapping tape around his mouth. He asked for the duct tape from the closet and said, you have to help me. So I helped him finish wrapping the tape around Angel's mouth. Then I left the room. When I came back, Angel was undressed down to his underwear, a pair of white Fruit of the Loom type underwear. Michael said, help me put him into the tub. So we carried him to the tub and closed the bathroom door. About five to seven days later, Michael and I decided we had to do something about this terrible mess. It was decided that I would go to get the knives or something to help dispose of the body. I went to Macy's and I bought three knives, two chef knives and one cleaver. When I got back... Shout out Macy's. I know. (laughs) When I got back, Michael told me that if I gave him 10 bags of heroin, he would take care of this part. So I did, and he went to the bathroom alone and cut off both of Angel's legs. Then we put each leg into plastic bags and then a duffel bag and separately carried them one at a time to the river and threw them in. Probably about the next day, I went downstairs to the storage area and got a large box. I cut the UPC code off the box. I brought it up to the apartment. Michael put the remainder of the body in a large plastic garbage bag. I got another bag and put it over the first one. I think before Michael put it into the first bag, he wrapped it in a sheet. After the second bag, I think I taped it closed. When we, or we then put the whole bundle into the large box. The smell was so unbearable that I put baking soda in to absorb, hopefully, some of the order. That does not even get the smell of, like, old spinach out of mm-hmm. my fridge. Like, please. I also stuck a broom handle into the box for support because the sheer weight was making the box collapse. A few hours later, we took the box into the elevator and out through the main lobby into a yellow cab that happened to be right outside the door. The driver helped tie the trunk down and we took the body to the West side highway around 25th street. The taxi drove off and we threw the box into the river. That is his confession. Hmm. I think that sounds very realistic. Mm -hmm. I think when you get down to the detail of cutting the UPC code off of the box, I am dealing with somebody who is telling the truth and has nothing to gain or lose by telling the truth. The only thing I noticed, which I don't think is a lie, but I think it was a very purposeful choice of words when he's like, he wanted however many bags of heroin. He went into the bathroom alone and cut off his legs. Uh Like, I do think Michael probably did that by himself, but I think Freeze was really trying to distance himself from that particular part. I think it was probably difficult for him to admit that they did that and was like, oh. So ultimately they have Michael Allig in custody and what was happening at that time, because Rudy Giuliani was 
in this like clean up New York City. So he was going after nightclubs that he knew had drug use and he was yes. trying to get the people that own the clubs that were allowing the drug use. Mm-hmm. So it was not unheard of to have someone who might be in prison for or might be in trouble for some reason to get a lesser sentence or immunity or whatever to testify against these people. Makes sense. So they wanted Michael to um, testify about Peter Gation. Michael Alex says that they want, in testifying against Peter Gation, they wanted him to lie. And he could not lie, so he wouldn't testify. Who knows what that story really is. Mm-hmm. But as it turns out, there was a third person in the apartment when this all went down. And they hadn't, neither Freeze nor Michael had said that there was a third person. Except Freeze very specifically said, I was in the room with my friend. So there was oh, a third person. I didn't even person. catch that, yeah. So the third person comes forward and says that Freeze and Michael robbed and then murdered Angel. So then it became murder during the commission of a robbery, which under New York state law made Michael eligible for the death penalty. So that's when they were like, you can't testify. Like, it's a felony after felony after felony. So Alec, because he was eligible for the death penalty, he pled. Pleaded? Plowed. Bitch. <laughs> I fucking wrote it. You stole it from me. I was going to fucking say it. So Michael plowed. <laughs> Guilty to manslaughter. Both him and Freeze plowed guilty to manslaughter. <laughs> so now there's like this debate. He's in jail. Great. Everybody, most people are saying that they don't think Michael Alec would have done what he did had there not been drugs involved. Okay. And then... Well, other, definitely not because Angel wouldn't be trying to get money for well, drugs. But like he wouldn't have killed anybody. Like mm. some people were saying he was so high, like somebody was going to get killed. Because of how nuts he was. But it was the drugs. And then others are saying that there might have already been something in him that the drugs just brought out of him. Like they okay. lessened, lessened his inhibitions. His um, boyfriend, DJ Kiyoki, said that somewhere deep inside his head he was thinking, what would it be like to be a murderer? And there's just precursors to it. There's the blood feast where you're literally chopping heads off and legs off. Like, yeah. It's not, this is not a surprise. So, basically, this murder and the subsequent, like, Giuliani crackdown starts kind of the end of the scene, and it starts to fade. He went to prison, and this is from that, whatever that fucking friend's name is who said Angel deserved to die, but then didn't deserve to die, Mm -hmm. said that in the beginning, Michael would send postcards with bloody axes on them to people. And the friend was like, well... Like, you're not remorseful, fuck you, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, but the longer that he got there, or the longer that he was there, he began to feel remorse. So then this friend was like, sure, we can be friends again. And some of the other people on the scene. Michael Alec claims in the documentary that when he got to prison, he was having dreams, and his all his dreams were about was killing Angel. And, and then, that tracks. Yes. So you're detoxing off of drugs, and this worst thing that you've well, ever done or seen. Not detox. Well, Okay. Um, but so it was about killing Angel and then the more he began to forgive himself for what he did, the better the dreams got. And it was about the old days and them getting along and having fun, which I'm pretty sure you guys were never chummy. You were a mm-hmm. dick to him the whole time. Shut up. Like you're well, just exactly. trying to make yourself look a hint better than you actually do. Yes. So he ended up spending 17 years in jail 
including five years of solitary confinement. Um, he also spent time in the psychiatric ward at Rikers Island. It says in 2000, he was placed in solitary confinement after he was caught using heroin in prison. He remained in solitary for another two and a half years after a drug test showed that he was still using drugs. So throughout his whole prison stint, he's still doing drugs. Alec became eligible for parole in 2006. His first parole request in November 2006 was denied, reportedly after the parole officers watched the film Party Monster and obviously denied him parole. He was again denied parole in 2008 after failing several drug tests. Ugh, this grossed me out. In the... (laughs) And you'll, you know partly about it because of his Twitter. Um, in an interview with his former fellow prisoner, he says that Alex said that his time was spent reading while in solitary inspired him to write his memoirs, which he entitled Aligula. No. Ew. Come on. You're just glorifying. Get the exactly. fuck out of here. Um, and that he particularly identified with the character Rushkolnikov from Dostoevsky's Crime mm. and Punishment. And then in March 2009, Alex said he finally decided to stop using drugs and that he had been sober since then. So now, once he's released from prison, James St. James, who wrote the book about him and was involved in the movie, Mm -hmm. works with the World of Wonder. Mm -hmm. And they're, like, filming him coming out of prison and, like, people meeting him. And then they're... Like he like, and it's a real thing. It's like a culture shock. He's coming now. There's internet and there's. It cell really phones. has been a tremendous. Yeah, there's like, yeah. so much change. So they videotape it, and there is just some really distasteful stuff. And they're just like, "Oh, this looks like a nice place to dump a body." And they, I don't know what they see, but at one point they're pointing off into the distance, and they're like, "Oh, is that angel?" And like they're just making these jokes, and to an extent, I can get that. Like when my mom was dying. All we did was joke. Like, I was like, hey, mom, if you could just schedule your death this time of the year because I'll be off from school. Like, you need uh, humor. Yes, But you just got out of prison and you're being filmed. Like, if I had killed my mother and was joking about it, not okay. (laughs) Totally different. But you know you're being filmed. Uh Uh-huh. So that guy that was, like, his best friend. Uh Uh-huh. Who was, like... Who went to visit him and nobody else did. Yeah, he was like, James St. James didn't... Go to visit him, and now they're filming this thing, and they're making a mockery of him, and they're making him look like he doesn't care, and blah, blah, blah. Well, because he doesn't fucking care. Well, exactly. Sorry. Um, so then they're showing them walk around New York City, and someone on the street recognizes James St. James. And it's like, oh my god, I watched Because he's also, at this point, been on Top Model. Like, he's yeah. on a lot of shows. Yeah. So they're like, oh, I like your, I watch your makeover YouTube or whatever. Mm-hmm. And fucking Michael gets mad. And he goes, oh, don't you watch my videos? And then he says to this person, like, they're walking away. And in reference to James St. James, he goes, he wouldn't be anything without me. Because you fucking killed someone and he yeah. wrote a book about it? Wow. Fucking fuck. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Look how good your waves are when you I'm say I'm so it. angry. hmm So then... He, in the documentary, oh my God, woe is me. He's whining that like, I'm never going to be free of this until I don't have to do interviews anymore. And I don't have to like, whatever the fuck, entertainment tonight or time, whatever the fuck. You don't have to do these. Right. You're thrilled to be in the line. You could live in obscurity. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't have to do this documentary that you're complaining about right then. Right. Fuck off. Like, uh-huh. who? 
And what? And why? No, I and won't. What? I no. Mm-hmm. How? And no. Fuck. Learn a book. Bitch. Oligula. Suck my dick. Ugh. It makes me so angry. So, <laughs> moving on. <sighs> my pulse was quickened. Um, so then on February 2nd, 2017, Michael was arrested for trespassing and smoking crystal meth hmm. in a park outside the Bronx Supreme Court. Jesus Christ. Um, at approximately 1.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He actually got detained originally because the, the park closes at dusk and he was still in there. Exactly. Do your drugs at home. Uh-huh. Moron. Um... So the complaint alleges that the police found a bag of crystal meth and a pipe with residue from the drug in his jacket. Um, The New York Daily News reports that Alec was arraigned on drug possession and trespass charges and plowed guilty to trespass in exchange for a conditional discharge. Now, I don't understand how you went to prison for murder and then you are on parole for a certain amount of time, and then you just have a drug charge, which is supposedly what made you kill someone. Yeah, exactly. And you don't get really in trouble. Because probably it's your first drug charge, and the courts don't... Bitch, please. I know. Um. So then on December 24th, 2020, so this is last month, mm-hmm. Um. shortly before midnight, he was found unconscious by his ex-boyfriend at their home, which is weird. It says ex-boyfriend. I don't know. Um... He I mean, listen, sometimes you end up living with your ex for longer than you expect. My God. <laughs> Eight months longer. Uh-huh. Why would that ever happen? Outlandish. Crazy. In 2020, of all things. I know. My God. <laughs> COVID times. So, oh my God. What if it was COVID times? <laughs> it definitely was. So, he was using heroin, and then he was pronounced dead at the scene. He was 54 years old. The following day, the cause of death was confirmed by his mother to have been an accidental heroin overdose. Just a couple aside things, it appears as if he expected that he would be dead by the end of 2020. Hmm. According to a source, Michael told me he probably wasn't going to make it through the year. He started making Party Monster 2 movie, which was footage of when he got out of prison. It was like a documentary, Michael told me. I'll never see money from it because they said they'll only release it after longtime collaborator and DJ Kiyoki or I died. And then he was found dead on Christmas Eve. Which just doesn't make sense. Then why you're gonna kill yourself? Like, no. None of that makes sense. I don't even know really yeah. why this is an article. Um and then a lot of his friends are kind of mystified at how he could die of an overdose because He's been doing drugs forever. Right. But people were like, he he never, it's not even like he stopped and then did heroin once and fucked up. So he's been doing it this whole time. How does one overdose? So I don't know if that's a, a hint at perhaps suicide. I'm not sure. But then also very weird, his mother, you know his mother. Still alive. Elkie. Yeah, still alive. And she is, I'm going to quote the title of the article. This is from page six. Club kids at war with Michael Alec's mom over his ashes. Page six has learned that there's an ugly battle over his ashes with the last of the club kids' disciples at war with his mom over his final resting place. One of the club kid killer's most loyal supporters, an original club kid, Rachel Kane, organized a GoFundMe in hopes that they would be able to install Alec's ashes at Brooklyn's famed Greenwood Cemetery alongside, as they see it, 
other iconic New York cultural figures like tragic artist Jean-Michael Basquiat. Alec's mom, Elkie, allegedly agreed to split the ashes with them, so half could go to Greenwood and half could come back to her home in Indiana. Which already her. sounds very accommodating. Yep. But rumors swirled among the club kids that she decided to take his body back to their native South Bend, Indiana instead and leave them with no remains, sparking some of them to dub her selfish. And when <laughs> Elkie caught wind that they were smearing her name to reporters, she allegedly threatened to back out of the macabre deal. His mom just doesn't get it and is going to take his body and put his ashes by her bed on the nightstand. Michael Alec doesn't want to go back to Indiana at all. Alec's club, club kid successor, Jason Chaos, told us. Which might be right. Like, mm-hmm. whatever. But he also loved his mother. Be by the bed. Yeah. So that's just like a weird thing I want to end with. Like, yeah. that's really being reported on. Like, the whole thing is batshit. But also, I just, I'm sorry. I think he's a horrible person. Yeah. And I think the only reason people still like him is because they had shared experiences. Uh-huh. And they don't want to let it go because it was fun. And, like, he's awful. He's an awful fucking... I don't really even like James St. James. I think he capitalized on some shit and, like, K-holes and, like, whatever. His book really <laughs> does K-holes. a good... <laughs> the book does a really good, mm-hmm. like, it's, like, paragraphs upon paragraphs of him describing himself... What it's like. ...being in a K-hole, yeah. like, in the snow or something, I feel like I remember. But, like, all I gotta say is RuPaul got out of it. She was a club kid. There's a couple people that came out of it and probably never did the drugs and had the sense. And even mm-hmm. like RuPaul, oh, RuPaul, my whole heart. On Geraldo at one point was saying something like, our movement, like we should, we're just, we just want to love ourselves. She's like, everybody say love. Aww. And the whole thing did it. <laughs> and then a little bit later, she was, somebody was talking about like those suited gentlemen that were dicks. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you're born naked and everything else is drag. This is drag. Those gentlemen in suits, that's drag. Mm-hmm. Like it's whatever you're trying to present yourself as. And I'm like, oh, you still say those things and I love you. I'm born naked and the rest is drag. Everybody say love. <laughs> love. I wanted her to end it with, how are you going to love yourself? Or love somebody. <laughs> how the hell are you going to love yourself? But yeah, I got to turn the fan on. I'm sweaty. But feel free. Oh, shit. I'm about to break some stuff. So. Shoot. I'm trying to lie. You got this? Mm-hmm. So I couldn't find when it happened. I have to assume prior to him leaving his parents' home, and the, like the parents got divorced. So prior to him leaving Indiana, I have to assume he was diagnosed with histrionic personality disorder. Which, for the record, I read it in. They mentioned it in Wikipedia, mm-hmm. and he says he was, and that he says that it was the most extreme case ever. Are there records? Because is he making shit up? There are records, but to say that you have the most extreme case of histrionic personality it's disorder ever is so, so histrionic. <laughs> it's the most histrionic thing I've ever heard in my life. So a little a little precursor to today's histrionic personality, because it is still in the current DSM. It comes from the word hysteria, <laughs> right? Which yep. comes from the Greek word hystera, mm-hmm. which literally is the term for uterus or womb. Mm-hmm. It's been used since, like, God, millions and millions of years ago. The so Egyptians, I, like, Greeks, Romans, like, these ancient, ancient civilizations <laughs> have this idea. And every one of those civilizations has, like, a different idea of what that should mean. Do you want to pause it so you can get a drink? 
I like just need water, but I'll be. Oh, fine. well, there's a water bottle. Well, bitch, it's old as fuck, but oh, I'll have I it. Mean... So, I don't speak Italian. I don't speak <laughs> Greek. I'm gonna Shall try I? my goddamn best here. In old Rome, the word histrione is used to talk about actors who are like so flamboyant mm-hmm. and like extra with their like actions. soap opera actors. Yeah, exactly. Like, so over the top with their acting. They're like over actors times a million. Plato, and just to give you some idea of when Plato, this is 429 to 347 BC. So Plato talks about histrionic, what we know now as histrionic personality disorder. As, are you ready for it? This is a verbatim. Verbatim. Quote, the animal within them is desirous of procreating children. And when remaining unfruitful, gets discontented and angry, and wandering through every in, sorry, and wandering in every direction through the body drives them to extremity, causing all varieties of disease. Okay. So anyway, your uterus just comes ripping out your body. Is like we're not pregnant. What? It's and like goes, up in your armpit. Yeah, exactly. It's like searching. Yeah, it's up Here's in your like, an ankle. Mm-hmm. So it gets, gets lost. I mean, the body's tricky, man. It's hard to navigate, my God. And the inner it's is very man. dark. It's a labyrinth, even. Like, what? So at this time, they're attributing <laughs> any affliction that is, like, related to women mm, yeah, to course. this wandering uterus. So the, the, inf- the afflictions that they note <laughs> include mutism, paralysis, choking. Was choking a common affliction? Miss what are chokes you people eating? Like, what is this? So, you know, whatever. It comes to be termed the wandering womb. So there you are. Just taking a walk. My my womb has been wandered. It ain't never come Just back. Just promenading uterus. It's Hippocrates <laughs> in 460. Hippocrate. Like, 460 BC. Hippocrates. He's the first one who says hysteria. And he says that hysteria is the result of a dry womb. <laughs> and the dry womb is wandering toward the throat. It's searching for humidity, my God. What? It's trying to, like, get to the humidity of the throat and mouth. So in wandering up toward, it causes that choking. It impedes... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm just choking on my uterus. <laughs> oh, the uterus. I'm going to just push it down. <laughs> your uterus goes up towards your throat and impedes your breathing. Because of that, you get these neurotoxic effects. It's called... He also called it frustrated uterus. Been there. And he said it predominantly affects widows and virgins. <laughs> we get a Not little, those slots in the middle. They be getting it. Get a little more modern toward 129 AD. And here we're talking about histrionic personality disorder as the result of blocked menstrual flow. Uh-huh. Or possibly sexual abstinence. Galen says that men can also suffer this disease. And particularly from abstinence, obviously, it would be the result of, like, restrained sperm. Like, you haven't ejaculated enough, which we know now does cause problems. So, like... Prostate cancer is a high risk unless you ejaculate. And, like, these people aren't super crazy because, like, wandering uterus, I think, could be endometriosis. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uterine tissue being found elsewhere in the body is not... Is not abnormal. So, I mean... But, like, it the, it generally stays in place, just part of it. Yeah, you know? and, like, the whole uterus doesn't go searching Dislogic. for, Dislogic. Like, I would die. Moisture. Just wake up one day and be like, oh, fuck. Guess. I got a uterus in my throat. <laughs> not a frog. <laughs> Your boss is like, how's everything going? You're like, just got so much uterus in she's my like, throat. <coughs> I can't. It's so much. Parted. My vey. 
Um, but it's cool to see that we get some like men shoved in there because for a while it was like, oh, it's a women's disease, wandering you, everything's your uterus, Ew, it's your problem, you. it's your menses, like, but this guy's like, well, hold the phone, maybe, like, men can get crazy. But it's because ejaculated. nobody will fuck them. Well, exactly, it's all about sex. Then the Middle Ages changed things not for the better. Uh, and this type Shocks! Of, <laughs> this type of hysteria, which, like, Hippocrates is the Hippocratic Oath. Yes. But then you also have in the Middle Ages, after Hippocrates... Augustine of Hippo. Uh-huh. Yes. So, I've heard of him. No, uh, I have it. I had it. So he's a theologian, mm-hmm. and he says that if you have these personality traits that I'll discuss in one moment, it's the result of some demonic possession. If you've got convulsions, and if you are engaging in other sinful activities, it's the result the result of suffocation suffocations of the matrix. <laughs> oh the matrix where's keanu <laughs> yeah it just feels like that's like your whole reproductive system like suffocation of the matrix and they didn't want to deal with it so if you aren't engaging in sexual expression you're chaste but prone to hysteria and if you are engaging in sexual expression you're associated with the devil so there's really no winning in the middle ages they've got no out for you but like what if you just like engage in coitus once a year. So engaging in any type of sin, uh, including having hysteria. What if, but if you're married, then it's not a sin. Correct. So they have to get married, and then they can fuck, that, and then it's okay. And that was often the cure. To get married, have single sex, divorce, and then move on with your life. Seems uh, like a lot. It just seems like a lot. And also... I'd rather be hysterical. Also, now I see how Freud was like, let me just finger these bitches, and I'll come up with a goddamn theory. So... G-spot. Here in the Middle Ages, it was thought that, like, during sin or, like, during the act of sin or not sinning and having hysteria, the devil is able to enter your body. It can possess you, and that would cause further hysteria. So, like, you're thinking about sex and you can't have it. You're hysterical. The devil comes. Because you're thinking about sin, the devil comes. Or if you're sinning, you're having sex and getting rid of your hysteria. But then the devil. But comes. you're sinning. The devil comes. Yeah, like literally. Does the devil do two different things? No, the devil would cause you to become more hysterical, and then the hysterical people become witches, and the witches, of course, get burned when Roman Catholicism takes over. Well, so, you know, it's a lot. Um, it's a lot. But that's the history of his. Histrionic personality. <laughs> that's the history of histrionic personality yeah, exactly. disorder. And whoa, bitch. So when Ailig gets diagnosed, presumably these are the characteristics of present day histrionic personality disorder. It present is, day, not present his day. day. Uh, present day, but it hasn't changed a lot since his day. There's not much change. So DSM-5 hasn't fucked it. It's very similar to even like DSM-2. Okay. Because it's not real. Okay. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. So, histrionic personality disorder (laughs) is a pattern of excessive emotionality and attention-seeking. These individuals are impulsive, superficial, seek excitement, they are reckless, seductive, and manipulative. They're more exaggerated in their emotions than antisocial personality disorder, and they aren't usually displaying those antisocial antisocial characteristics. We talked about antisocial when we talked about the clutter family. 
So here, where the Clutter family was, or the Clutter murderers were out for financial gain, like it was clearly like this treasure in the one deluded guy's mind, oh, and then also like the possibility of the safe. Like this, in histrionic personality disorder, you're out for adoration. And it's different from narcissistic personality disorder because narcissistic personality disorder, you're out. Like, Elig wouldn't have been trying to form followers to gain clout. He would have wanted to form alliances with people who already had clout. Because you want to say, oh, these are my friends. Here's how much they make. These are my friends. Here's the clubs they own. Rather, he was trying to be the leader of that. And narcissistic personality doesn't have the energy for that. They want to already be associated with everyone who's doing everything great. They also manipulate to gain nurturance, which is a little bit different from narcissistic personality. So like somebody with narcissistic personality disorder doesn't show weakness or doesn't want to show weakness. Somebody with um, histrionic is more likely to be needy, to like want the attention, to want to be nurtured, to want to be cared for, to want to be like coddled. And we don't see that obviously with a lot of narcissistic personality disorders. So are you ready for the DSM? Mm -hmm. I keep giving you guys these numbers and I guess I never really explained it. So when you look at your own medical chart, you've got all these numbers. Like if you have a cough, it's like your ICD-9 code mm. for a cough is blah, blah, blah. Your diagnostic criteria code. So if you have seen your file and you have histrionic personality disorder, it will be 301.50 F60.4. It's mm. a lot, right? Sounds familiar. <laughs> it's a pervasive pattern of excessive emotionality and attention seeking. It has to begin in early, in early adulthood and show itself in a variety of contexts. So you have to have five or more of the following. Ready for Illig? You want me to tell you if I think he has it? Yeah. Okay. Comfort uh, sorry, uncomfortable in situations where he or she is not the center of attention. Yes. Absolutely. The interaction with others is often characterized by inappropriate sexually seductive or provocative behavior. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, read that second one? Sure. Interaction with others is often characterized by inappropriate sexually seductive or provocative behavior. Yes. Do you think? I, I, that was the one I was really on the fence. Yes. Okay. Displays rapidly shifting and shallow expression of emotions. Yes. Mm -hmm. Consistently uses physical appearance to draw attention to self. Uh, 100%. Lee, uh, Lee, that's yes. the whole club commitment. Has a style of speech that is excessively impressionistic or lacking in detail. I'll give you an example of that. Because I that one to me was like really hard to understand. So it is people who say things like, oh, he's a wonderful person. But when you ask why or yeah. like what makes him wonderful, that That's they can't like come up with anything. That's a yes. Shows self-dramatization, theatricality. An exaggerated expression of emotion. Yes. Is suggestible, easily influenced by others or circumstances. Yes. Considers relationships to be more intimate than they actually are. Yes. Like, in the movie, it shows he's like, he meets Kiyoki and he's like, you're going to be my boyfriend. And then later he meets Girl Gitsy, who apparently dies in Astro's apartment, if hmm. anybody wants to know. OD, I believe. Um, and he's like, you will be my girlfriend. Like, he's very, like, just <laughs> We're this is together. It. Yeah. 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 So, 
when you further read the DSM, so like the DSM presents you with criteria and then it gives you like paragraphs upon paragraphs. And I think it's very difficult to follow, but here are some of the highlights from those paragraphs upon paragraphs that I thought were really, like really relevant. This person would be often lively and dramatic. They tend to draw attention to themselves and initially charm new acquaintances by their enthusiasm, apparent openness, and flirtatiousness. However, these qualities wear thin after a time when people see their real true selves. They commandeer the role of the life of the party. If they're not the center of attention, they do something dramatic, like make up stories or create a scene to draw the focus of attention to themselves. Do you think that might have anything to do with his suicide attempt? Like, he was off the radar, nobody cared. When did he attempt suicide? Oh, like, this this overdose. You said it might have been a suicide attempt. I mean, he. I don't know about that, but he definitely... Like when him and Kiyoki or I don't know, James and James, somebody's walking out on him and he's like, if you leave, I'm going to kill myself. Like he would threaten it all the time. So stupid. Yeah. Their opinions... Remind me to tell you what I hate about him. Okay. Their opinions and feelings are easily influenced by others and by current fads. To me, when you were saying that the drugs, as soon as the rave kicked in, the drugs kicked in, like that was really, that hit that criteria, criterion um, eight for me. So it's like, or seven, I guess. So to be like, I don't do drugs, I don't do drugs, I just do these outrageous things. But then everybody Oh, does hold drugs. on, drugs are popular? I absolutely do drugs. I do the hardest of all the drugs. Like, it just seems very like, oh, me too, me too, me too. I don't know if this happens. I haven't watched the movie in a million years. But individuals with this disorder often consider relationships more intimate than they actually are, describing almost every acquaintance as my dear or my dear friend or my love or like... Absolutely. <laughs> I could absolutely but that's like also a flamboyant queen thing. So I don't know if that's histrionic or not. Um, what I really wanted to talk about was the prevalence. So the prevalence is 1.84%. People say that it occurs way more in women. However, with the history of this being called the wandering womb, it not seems surprised. like it would be more likely to be to, diagnosed yeah. in women, even if it's not really more seen. <clears throat> they said that somebody with this disorder would be flamboyant, exaggerated, emotional, and that these traits would be inflexible, maladaptive, and persisting, causing significant functional impairment or subjective distress. And I feel like murdering a fucking person is significant functional impairment. Yes, I would agree. Seems and pretty significant. The DSM said that it couldn't predict a risk of suicidality because I'm trying to understand if this overdose is like a cry for attention. Is it actual suicide? Is it just an accident? Like what's going on here? Um, but they said that the risk for suicide isn't really known. <clears throat> but the risk of suicidal gestures, which you just mentioned, uh-huh. is greatly increased because they're trying to get better attention and course more caregiving. Mm-hmm. So like to try to get somebody to care that they're around. So I wonder, because you said he, his ex-boyfriend found him, mm. if that was an attempt to try to get back with that mm. ex and like, you know what I mean? Could be. Um, substance use disorder. So I would like to make super clear in this episode that being diagnosed with anything does not make it like a guarantee that you'll do drugs and doing drugs is not always a sign of an underlying psychological disorder. In this case, his drug abuse and the scene that he was part of, I think really, or his diagnosis and the scene. Yeah. His diagnosis and the scene that he was a part of made it a perfect storm for him to start this drug use and abuse. So I feel like for him, it was an important risk factor 
to put those things together. But it is not always the case that people who are diagnosed with any disorder, also histrionic personality disorder, would engage in drug use. Um, when these people do engage in drug use, again, being highly suggestible at the start, it's much more likely that they will continue using despite outside suggestions, perhaps from his mother or his friends that he shouldn't use. And it's likely that if the prison construct didn't allow him to use drugs, but he was still getting like some sort of attention from some other place that he might have refrained in prison even. So not totally sure about your thoughts about Alec in prison. I don't know if he was using drugs because I don't think that's how you, you get attention in But he prison. was. He kept failing drug tests. That's why he was put in solitary. But do you think it was like to get an in-group? No, I think Or do you think it was because he was a drug addict? Yeah. So I don't think he developed that on his own, though. I think that was clearly like... Well, I think it started the as The movement not, shift. Yeah, but then in prison, like, that's all you know, and he's obviously miserable, miserable in prison, so what does he want to do? He wants to get high. Well, that's So fair. it's not as bad. So I think it didn't start as, like, he needed drugs and that's why he did drugs. It obviously was a function of the scene. But then, you know, he's a junkie, so what are you going to do? It's a lot. But I think, I think histrionic fits him. I... <laughs> so the guardian did a news story on him afterward where he is like saying the same things that you were saying that nobody's ever been more histrionic than he is and blah 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 but also the things and that he's doing and saying aside from that in that article really really do fit and i don't even think this is a real disorder i think that people wanted to demonize women and their sexuality for a long time so it became like this whole thing also gave an excuse to like rape women because you're like, oh, she was expressing, she was hysterical. I had to have sex with her to calm her down. Otherwise demons, you know, like mm -hmm. so stupid. But I think in this case, if there's an argument for something different from narcissism, this would be it. Like flamboyant. Well, because also like part of narcissism is the reason they're so braggy and is because they actually are like insecure. Mm-hmm. And histrionic, it's not that. Like, he thinks he's awesome, he wants everybody to think he's awesome, and he just wants attention. Yes. And what, this, when I said remind me to tell you what I hate about him. <laughs> Everything. I think he became a fixture in the scene because of his desire for attention. But I think every little minion that followed him literally just wanted a place to feel like themselves and to be accepted. Yeah. And it was just like this, just like innocent. Sad a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But he was just capitalizing on it. Yes. And then tried to argue it. Like, it's just like, you know, like people who like run religions and like do as I oh, say, not God. as I do and whatever. Like he didn't, I don't, there was no pureness to him. No. And I think no matter how that culture had shifted, he would have shifted right with it. Yeah. Like he just loved the attention of it and wanted so desperately he to He would have been like wearing be back, backwards clothes when Chris Cross came out if he wasn't Exactly. Like whatever is getting the attention, he wants to do it and he wants to do it more extreme than you. And so he can be the leader of that movement. And that's why this movement works so good for him because it was already sort of existing with Andy Warhol and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he was able to make a scene if that hadn't been constructed for him, he would have had a harder time. He would have made something. Yeah. 
but the, he just well, seemingly was able to come in and take over. And James St. James was saying that he was stealing styles from people. Like somebody would show up wearing something one club and then the next night Alec would show up wearing the same thing, but like more extreme. Yeah. And it was just like, what is this main? Like this guy is a Yahoo. So you think it was suicide or you think it was an accidental overdose? I am dying to know. I wish I had more information. Mm-hmm. Oh, please. We end every episode with like, a shame we don't have more info. I know. I, it's hard for me to understand how it could be an overdose. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, because like he talks about in the documentary, like, oh, I'm going to write a book and I want to have a clothing line. And I like, he had this awful, like, this is probably what people say about our podcast, but he had this awful <laughs> YouTube show called like The Pew and it was him and this guy who lives with him who was in the documentary. Like, he moved in with Alec immediately after he got out of prison. Oh, Jesus. And I clicked the one link because it said something about RuPaul. But they were talking about the the scandal. And it was not... I thought it was going to have something to do with, like, the transgender yeah. issue. But they were talking about how it's people are saying it's fixed because RuPaul picks who wins. But like, that's the point. Exactly. And Alec, Michael Alec was actually like, I don't think it is like she's picking who wins based on who's doing well. It's not yeah. like she picks Ellen is winning, but whatever. So I, it was just awful. You could tell that they were reading off things cause they're videotaping themselves. Oh geez. They have no concept. They're just like, yeah, that's weird. And I'm like, you are like beefly and buoyant he just yeah exactly he was it, it was just weird and you have thoughts like just say them yeah. out of your stupid head and he like he talks so fast any Doesn't interview he? like when he was in the documentary he's like well i want to do this and i want to do this and it's not because of this and it's because of this or when they were interviewing him in prison and he was telling the story of what happened he was like well this and then this and then and then free says it was a pillow i think it was a sweatshirt blah, 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 blah. like just constant talking and we talk fast but like yeah. his is like it's almost like my when it's awkward silence and I want to <laughs> ramble, but it's like he's on the precipice of awkward silence for his whole life and he just has to forever. So I wouldn't be shocked if maybe the things he had planned for himself with the book and the Party Monster 2 movie. Yeah. Like, there, it doesn't make any sense that they would wait. Um, well, well, it's not like it was a blockbuster anyway. Well, I'm wondering, so when he was like, they wouldn't release Party Monster 2 until him or Kiyoki died. And I'm just wondering if they would wait till he was dead to finish the whole story. Maybe. But whatever, I don't give a shit. But I'm wondering if the plans that he had for himself weren't working out the way he expected. There was a whole, there was an article I read that there was, do I still have it linked? <laughs> you know you don't. You got to email that shit to yourself. No, some of the links I did post... <laughs> In my note, in my notes, um, something about some club or something or some something was doing a party or something and they were going to feature Michael. Hmm. And there was a petition that got started that was like, yeah, this guy's a fucking murderer. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And the promoter, whoever was doing it, was trying to say that I, like... It was very specifically to talk about that scene and to, like, nostalgia and whatever. And people were like, well, the scene is what made him what he was, which is what yeah. led to murder. And I'm wondering if there was a lot more pushback than he was prepared for. Yeah. 
and was and the things that he, he oh obviously he envisions himself to be a huge deal mm-hmm. and if it's not working out or he's not getting the deals or people are not celebrating him in the streets that maybe yeah that caused some depression and, like, and maybe he was just like fuck it maybe I don't I have no but like idea. how does this is what I want to know like how much heroin oh my god does someone need when you've been doing heroin for years to is actually all that was in his system though it says a heroin overdose hmm. yeah I don't know like how do you even know you just keep doing it until you go unconscious and then you hope you don't wake up I have no idea I think it also depends, like, if you're going to inject it, like, where you inject it. Because I know, like, a sublingual injection is going to go right in the fuck. You know what I mean? But, like, maybe in the arm or in the vein is... I have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea. No, I do. I have no idea. No, I do. And the free time. <laughs> I just feel like it has to, in some way, be purposeful. Whether he was trying uh-huh. to get him... Like, how he did give me 10 bags of heroin, I'm going to get so high and cut up this body. Yeah. Like, it was a, a an, an attempt to get... Higher than he's ever been. Yeah. And maybe it was purposeful for him to die or just like, I need to be fucked out of my brain cells. And I, for one, am not sorry that he's dead. No. I think that what he did to Angel was purposeful. I think high or not, you knew what you were doing. You had to come back to that body. And the fact that he bragged about it afterwards. Like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I mean, I guess it speaks to like junkie status also but again freeze hit him three times Mm -hmm. that is self-defense he was not dead yeah flush the drugs and call the cops right or a lawyer but because he was a junkie you don't waste that shit well then hide it Right. Put it, like, oh leave the body, leave Freeze with the body, take the drugs, put them elsewhere. Or leave Freeze with the drugs, tell him to get the fuck out of there. Exactly. Yeah. And so, whatever is about him, whether it's histrionic, whether it's just an obsession with death, mm-hmm. or whatever the fuck, that's what turned it into that. And I believe Freeze's story, when he was like, what are you doing? He's, he's unconscious. Yeah. You don't have to suffocate him. And I just think that... Ultimately, he had a fascination. That's what he wanted. And I, I just don't think he's a good person. I don't Mm-mm. think he ever had pure intentions. I, he was going around the country recruiting promising club kids and bringing them to New York. And at that point, all you're doing is throwing them into the cesspool of drugs, acting yeah. like they're going to have a better life. And it's so free here to express. And yeah, it is. But it's not going to be what you think it is. And you don't care if they feel loved or not. You just want them to love you. And two, he thought he was going to get away with it by throwing it into the Hudson. Mm -hmm. Because like 99.99% of the time, that shit was going to flush out to the ocean. So it was just like a fluke of weather that he even got caught. So I think he was like, okay, I'm going to fulfill my need to murder somebody and see what that's like. No one's going to miss this guy because isn't he an asshole? And then... There we go into the, you know what I mean? Like, and like the whole documentary, I don't know. I don't know who was behind it and like what the slant was supposed sure. to be. But like that one guy was like, oh, Angel should die. And then other people were like, well, Angel was this. And he oh, was, they have his parents on, don't they? No. Like, oh, there's something I was watching about like his fa- a sister, maybe. There was like a family member who was like, what the fuck? Like he just left. And because he's gay and he's, you know what I mean? It was just like, oh, he left and we miss him. And uh, they were hanging flyers. Yeah. It was just like, uh. But they were like, 
there was some people like, I didn't really care for Angel. And then like a couple people that would sort of talk shit, be like, I really liked Angel. And like, I don't think it matters. Mm-mm. That it should not be commentary. No, exactly. Like also because he's a drug dealer and drug dealers probably don't have the best like yeah, personality in the world. <laughs> so like, there's no justifying. I and I just don't. <laughs> I don't know. The whole thing's fucked up. James St. James is fucked oh up. God, I'm sorry. Lot of the only reason I like James St. James is because I picture Seth Green playing him, and I think <laughs> he fucking killed it. Like, he was so good. Well, that book also was so good. It was yeah. very well written. But it he, was very informative. I didn't remember that he wanted to write a book. Like, in the movie, they show him. He's like, I wrote another page today because, like, he's perpetually blocked or whatever yeah it's like i wrote this sentence and it's a shame that sentences can't be bestsellers because i think it would go so like this did offer him an opportunity oh for sure inside like how i always joke if like i meet a guy from online like if you're a serial killer like please just don't kill me and just let me write the book i don't give a shit (laughs) what you do so like he got that handed to him yes and he did take advantage of it Uh uh-huh but the whole like, even in the documentary, Michael's like, I just worry, like, are we glamorizing this? Yes, you are. Yes. And just because you say, like, you're worried about it, yes, you are. And I don't think that was necessary. I don't think they needed to show him getting out of prison. I don't think oh, no. they needed to show James St. James showing him around. And because then there, he's like, oh, this machine, this black machine, I can see people. But he was tweeting in prison, I read. Yeah. So this isn't brand new. Yeah, so it was all staged. Yeah, it was just very extra. And then you're, you are making him look very callous. Yes. Yeah, it's not a good look. And he's not smart. No. Like, I I think James St. James was probably baiting him. And whatever. Mm -hmm. This is your, whatever, I don't give a shit. But you're supposed to be smart, bro. And you're being videotaped. Exactly. And then you expect to make a joke and then have everybody be like, oh, well, he's really changed. You so haven't, because you're still doing drugs. Yes. Like, the second you got caught with drugs, you should have been sent back to prison. Right. Because if that is your argument, or that yeah. I was so fucked beyond belief that I killed a man, then if you are still an addict, you have to be elsewhere. You're not safe. Or, like, your prison sentence should have been extended well, when you were still... There was also a whole thing, and again, like, I get it, you're a mom, whatever. But she <laughs> was upset because Freeze got paroled in 2010. And Alec didn't get paroled until 2014. And she's like, if Freeze got paroled, why didn't Michael? Well, because he was doing drugs. Mm-hmm. And because the court probably believes Freeze's account more yes. than his. And he was the, the brains behind everything. Right. And his confession was like, yes, I did hit him. I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. He was attacking my friend. They're both strung out of their mind. I hit him to get him to fall. He didn't fall. He kept attacking. I hit him again. He kept attacking. A third time I hit him, he stopped. And then I was done. And, and then, then I came I was back. Done. And here comes my. And this is what's because happening. Because literally what should have happened is he's unconscious. He comes to. Because you know they're probably not really going to call anybody. And then they're going to be like, oh, here's drugs. Oh, here's yeah. a little bit of money. Go see Peter Gation. He'll give you money. And then. It's the same fucking day. Exactly. But there's a lot of his friends that were like, if it wasn't Angel, it was going to be somebody. Somebody was going to get hurt. Yeah. At the hands of Michael. And that's a problem. Right. It's so crazy. Nobody should say that and still want to know him. I couldn't mm-hmm. be around him. I would not feel safe if I knew somebody he was still doing drugs. him. Like, what? Girl, you got another batshit crazy story. I get all... You get the next batshit, though. I do get the it. next batshit. I can't wait to talk about Evil Genius. I have been squawking about this story. If you have not Squawk. watched it on uh, Netflix yep. yet, 
please, for the love of God, it is insane. Just like binge it immediately. We're talking about it next week. They show some real graphic shit. Jesus H. Which Christ. doesn't at make the any end, sense. Apropos of no, nothing. Through in the beginning. No, I know in the beginning, but then at the end when you're oh. like, okay, this thing is over, they're just like, surprise. And then in the meantime, they're blurring it. Oh my God, I know. What's the point? No point. Oh God. I told Darian that we were going to do the episode. Hey girl. And I was like, you can't watch the documentary until she you hasn't to watched it. No. <gasps> I was like, you can't watch it until oh, the podcast. Oh, Sorry. I don't want her to know anything going it's in. It's so good. It's so good. And it, the situation is so crazy. And there's two major players, and we both had to do completely separate deep dives because holy shit. Well, I have more time to deep dive now. Oh I'm my god, I can't wait. I, the whole thing is insane because I can't find a ton out about him. I I have so much about her, but now then I have to parse through like what's true. Do you know what I mean? Because she's such like an insane person. We're saying too much. We're talking about evil genius next week. It's gonna be nuts. Get excited. Oh my god. Evil genius and, like, the people behind. Like, not just that documentary, but Jesus H. Christ. It was heavily informed by, and probably some uh, concepts of uh, lying. I think that that's going to yeah. be our psych concept on that one. Which I feel like, a little bit, we might be able to throw good old Michael in there. Let's pop some Alec references in there. The people have listened to this episode. They know. They're with us. Because we drop that shit weekly. Oh, my God. You can... You can count your tits on it. You can count your tits on it. Tuesday, 5 a.m. It's fucking up there. Tuesday. That needed to be on video. It's okay. It really did. (laughs) It really did. Tuesday, 5 a.m. But okay. So here we are. Yeah. And we're at thesychos at gmail.com. We know our password now, so we're good. Yes, I found the password. No big deal. And we are at psychos on Facebook. And at Hose Psych on Twitter. Fucking Twitter. That's that's all this shit. Please find us on Apple Podcasts. Rate us five stars if you can. If you if you if you can hear us better in this episode than all of the other episodes, aside from Little Albert. We're so good you just couldn't hear so five stars across <laughs> the board. Please, that's how people find us. That's how people find out about content. So we definitely want people who are interested in true crime to be able to find us. I'm always looking for true crime shit. So please, five star anything you're listening to also. Because God knows I'm looking for something new. Yeah. And we're on Google Podcasts. Usually not right away for whatever reason. I don't know what's going on Spotify, Anchor, Pocket Casts. Mm -hmm. All all the things. So just please, please be our friend. We just want to make friends. It's Mm -hmm. really... And just... Be nerds and drunk. Ugh. Get some wine and We're going to have a, a a picture soon. Oh, dear. Yeah, I just called you right out. Hmm. I'm putting that on you. So Ellen's going to draw us a... A not microphone photo. Yeah, even though that's a gorgeous picture I it took. It is a nice... I'm very artistic. Artistic photo, yes. Okay. Thanks. Love you, mean it. Bye. Listen to these drums, bitches.